everybody. <clears throat> In just a few moments, I'm going to open the Bible to the book of Romans, chapter 4. And I'm going to run with Romans for a while. I didn't, I didn't confer with Becky about my topic today. So when she talked about faith, I thought, oh, wow, that's right on the money. So today we will be talking about the nature of faith. Um, a title for the sermon could be Faith Like Abraham. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for making every provision, Lord, so that we can spend eternity with you. This morning we're going to look at Abraham especially, and the kind of faith that he exercised. And I pray, Lord, that each one of us will, in all aspects of our life, not just when we talk about justification by faith, but in all aspects of our lives, Lord, that we will exercise faith and trust in you and believe that you're with us in every situation. You promise you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. Help us to believe that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, in Romans chapter 4, we have the example of Abraham and David, and I'm going to speak this morning just primarily about uh, Abraham in verses... Ooh, someone's been underlining this Bible here. We're not supposed to underline Bibles in the pews. If you underline it, you can take it home, okay? <laughs> That'll encourage you to underline it then, won't it? Okay, so we're on page 1752. And I just want to give you a little bit of background, some of it that I spoke of last week. So those of you that were here, this hopefully will help you to remember a little bit what direction we're going. It's very important with the Apostle Paul that you're able to follow the line of reasoning. He argues his point. He doesn't just state his case, he reasons things through. So you have to be able to follow his line of reasoning. So last week we said that in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, we have Paul's basic thesis. So in chapter 1, 16 and 17, he talked about the gospel. Do you remember that? Anybody here last week? I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone. So that's what we're, we're concerned with this morning, how people get saved. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. That's what we're going to be talking about today, faith. From first to last, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And then we talked about the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. Do we live in a godless, wicked age? Yes, we do. Are we godless and wicked? Did we used to be? Yes. So it's very important as he concludes in 
as he takes us into chapter 3, all of us fall short and continue to fall short of the glory of God. Hence, we need to be brought into a different kind of relationship. If we're in a kind of relationship with God where we're classified as an enemy, as a sinner, as ungodly, as wicked, then obviously there's something wrong. Most people would be able to understand that. So how do we change that relationship? How is that relationship changed? Well, one of the big things that Paul mentions constantly through his writings is it's not by works. So no, no matter how pious you are, this morning in our class we talked very briefly about the Essenes, Dead Sea Scroll Essenes at Qumran, a, a community that separated themselves from mainline Judaism, wanting to become more pure, closer to, to God. So any kind of works righteousness in whatever form it takes is not acceptable to God. It is impossible to get into a right relationship with God with religion. Impossible. There's a lot of religion out there, right? But let me ask you, if you understand about justification by faith, and we talked about it briefly last week, how many have that right relationship with God, where God declares them just and righteous? Only those that have faith in who? In Jesus Christ. So he develops that in chapters 3, and that is good enough to lead us into chapter 4. Chapter 4 is probably the clearest explanation of justification by faith in the book of Romans. Now, if I had to choose a chapter that was the most important chapter, I'd probably say chapter 5, which we just briefly touched upon a few verses last week. Maybe next week we can go to chapter 5 again. But chapter 4 is the, a whole section here on this man, Abraham. And if you know anything about Abraham in Scripture, he's a pretty important person, don't you think? You can read the book of Genesis and you can see how he is considered the friend of God, how he cultivated this relationship with God, and how God uh, declared him righteous because he had faith in the promises of God. Now, some of those ideas Paul picks up in Romans chapter 4. He says there in verse 1, what then shall we say about Abraham, our forefather? What did he discover in this matter? And in chapter 3, verse 31, he talked about uh, the law and faith. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. Did Abraham have anything to boast about? Because he did do a lot of works. But Paul says he had nothing to boast about. None of us have anything to boast about. No matter how well we live this life in human form, we have nothing to boast about. Even the faith that we exercise to, to the Lord Jesus Christ is pure gift of God. So if it's gift, you have no boasting. If it's works, you have a lot to boast about. If you've worked hard and you receive your paycheck at the end of the week, what do you do? Do you get down on your knees and polish the boss's shoes? No. Hopefully you might thank them, 
that's probably a good thing to do, but you have earned those wages. You deserve those wages, right? Unless you've been shirking off, which I know no members at Anderson do that. So you deserve those wages, but not so with gift. If it's gift, we can praise, we can thank, but we can never boast. So he talks about that briefly by way of introduction in the first uh, few verses here. It says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, trusted God, had faith in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay, I'm not really going to say very much about those verses, but they, they're, just like in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, a basic idea is being laid down. Here, a basic idea is being laid down, and it's being developed throughout the chapter. And he talks about things like the role of circumcision, the role of the law, and other good things before we get to Romans 4, chapter, uh, verse 18. So turn to verse 18. I'm not going to take you through the whole chapter. I'm going to deal with certain verses. And before I read those, let me give you a little bit of background from Genesis. Maybe some of you have never heard of Abraham before. Abraham was a man that lived thousands of years before the Lord Jesus Christ was born on this earth. He had a wife called Sarah. And like many people, they wanted to have children. Abraham is 86 years of age when God speaks to him and makes tremendous promises to him. Now, I want you to think of these promises as huge, as massive. So it's like God, it's like God saying to you, well, I know that you only have five pence in your bank account, I'm going to give you a billion dollars. I mean, it's from one extreme to the other. Look on these promises that God made to Abraham as massive promises. So, for example, one evening he would take him out, and in those days they had clear skies. Couldn't necessarily do this in L.A. or, some, or in... in uh, parts of China, Beijing, but they had clear nights, maybe 8,000 stars up there in the sky, and God says, count the stars if you can, and your children, your offspring, will be greater than the stars in the sky, greater than the sand on the seashore mind-boggling promises that God made to Abraham. Now, he didn't make them, as I've already indicated, when Abraham was 21 years of age. He's making these promises about this, this coming children and descendants and offspring when the man is 86 or 99. And when Sarah is at an age as an elderly woman where she could, it was impossible to her, for her to have any children. And this is important to grasp as we work, work our way through what faith is, that the promises 
are always incredible promises. They're always big. There was a man called J.B. Phillips. Maybe some of you have his paraphrase of the New Testament. And he wrote a book saying, many years ago, saying, your God is too small, written to the Christian community. Well, just with a superficial reading of Genesis, we know that these promises of God were big and huge and massive. And Abraham and Sarah had every reason, if they looked at the challenge and the problem of not having children at such an old age, if they just looked at that, they would be most discouraged. But one of the hallmarks of faith, genuine faith, saving faith, Abraham faith, is that you don't just look at the problem, yes, you don't bury your head in the sand, you know the reality of the situation, but you look to someone who can do something about it, which is God. That's the essence of faith, saving faith, as we will see as we work our way through some of these verses. I'm going to read a few verses here to get us started. Verse 18, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it has been said to him, so shall your offsprings be, or your seed be. Quoting Genesis, I believe it's chapter 15, verse 5. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as what? As good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, approximately, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. And yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. And this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. So I want, want us to look briefly this morning, not just at the subject of justification by faith, which I focused on last week, but the very nature of the kind of faith that Abraham had. I want you to think of faith uh, this morning as, as a pretty broad subject that affects all areas of your life. So if you're struggling uh, at your workplace to get work or stay at your work, if you have problems in your marriage, in relationships, whatever your area of concern is, faith or lack of faith will affect that situation. Every single day that you and I as Christians live this life, we are learning, hopefully, lessons of faith. So it says there in the text, uh, right in the verse 1, that against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring or your seed be. And all of this was possible, this promise would be fulfilled in Abraham's life because he had faith alone in God. He didn't look 
and pay attention to the difficulty of the situation, he looked above and beyond that to the one who made the promises to him. So he believed, he had faith, or we could use the word trust in God. The first point I want to establish is the kind of faith that Abraham had believed in the word of promise. So God had said, so look at all those stars, so shall your descendants, your offspring, your seed be. Boom, mind-boggling promise. Could he believe it? Would he believe it? Did he believe it? Now, we're not saying, did he understand it? No human being could understand a promise like that and how it could be filled. To understand a promise like that and how it would be filled, you would have to be able to look into the future. Many, many, many years. We do that when we read the Old Testament. We look into Abraham's future, so to speak, because we see how these descendants came. Not just his, his literal children, but their children and their children, and on and on and on. So Abraham had faith and trust to believe the promises. Do you have that kind of faith and trust? You know, it's no use saying, it's no use knowing the promises or just listening to the promises. You've got to believe in the promise. And we will see this morning that belief is more than just an intellectual possibility. It's not just saying that I believe God has the, the power to do that. It's way bigger than that. It's I believe God will do it. Why do I believe God will do it? Because I'm presumptuous? No, because he's the one that made the promise. He doesn't lie. He keeps his promises. That's what, that's what saving faith is. That's what genuine faith is. That's what you and I have to develop day in, day out as we live this Christian life. So, Abraham was to have a huge offspring, huge descendants, despite being elderly in age. But not only would Abraham have these Jewish descendants or offspring or seed, there are texts in the Bible that talks of not offspring plural, but offspring singular. Not seed plural, but seed singular. For example, in, speaking of course of the Lord Jesus Christ, Galatians 3, verse 16. Galatians 3, 16. It's on page 1812. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So, what are we seeing here? We're seeing that, yes, on the surface... It's obviously talking about many, many, many descendants of Abraham. Basically what we call the Jewish race. But there's a deeper meaning than that. 
a way more important meaning than that. It's also speaking of the seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ would come. Uh, turn to John chapter 8, verse 56. John 8, verse 56, that's on page 1664. The Jews were boasting about their relationship with Abraham, that he would be the father and was the father of the Jewish people. And in a sense, Jesus doesn't really argue about that, though he does question exactly who their father really is. And then he says in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. He rejoiced. What do we have here? This scripture, through the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, is telling us that Abraham was shown the plan of salvation. Now, Perhaps, in a sense, he saw through a glass darkly. We are very privileged to live in a day and age when not only has the fulfillment of these promises been acted out in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially his death on the cross and his resurrection, we can look back thousands of years. We can read the whole of Scripture to understand the importance of that. Abraham didn't have any of that. He didn't have any scripture as far as we know. He had the presence of God. He was a friend of God. He had the voice of God. He had the promises of God. But he couldn't see the future like you and I see it. But he did see enough that Jesus could say to the Jews, he indeed saw my day. The fact that Messiah would come one day and die for the human race, and he rejoiced. He was glad. Now, we know he did more than rejoiced. He believed. So Romans is telling us that, and Galatians also will tell us that. He believed, he trusted in these promises, and of course, he rejoiced that God was on top of the situation and indeed would take care of it. And he lived his life from that point on and it's very important to notice that, and we don't have time to go into this, but in Genesis, we see Abraham's faith up and down, up and down. We see weak faith, we see strong faith. But we do see faith. He trusted in the one who made the promises. And then finally, under this idea of the offspring and the seed, it, was, it is speaking about the Gentiles coming in. So the Jews would rejoice that Abraham is our father. We are the chosen race. Well, in a sense that's true, but if you really don't have the faith of Abraham, you're really not part of it. However, all those dogs outside, those vermin outside, because that's the way the Jews taught to the Gentiles, They've got no chance. Well, Paul says, yes, they are part of the promise in Genesis. With the seed, they are included. And they are the same that have the faith 
in Jesus Christ, just as Abraham did. In Matthew 8, verse 11, Jesus puts it this way. Page 1507, he says, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, and that includes you and me. So whether you know it or not, you are part of the promise there, right? If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, now I don't know this morning which of you are trusting in Jesus Christ. I don't know which of you are believing, which of you are faith. I can't read your hearts. I don't know that. But God knows. So there will be many here who are believing and having faith in Jesus Christ, just like Abraham did. You are part of that seed, part of that offspring. Hallelujah! That's good news. Because what did we read, especially last week? We're wicked, we're ungodly, we're enemies, we're sinners. And God has totally changed that. Somehow faith has been expressed in our lives, and we've believed the promise that Jesus can take care of our sins, for example, and we're in to God's kingdom. Secondly, Abraham believed on the bare word of God and nothing else. He had no proof, no proof that these things would be so. Now, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11 develops that idea very, very strongly when he talks of the heroes of the faith. Can you remember that chapter? It's a great chapter. And he says, they didn't receive the promised blessings, but they looked forward. This is what Abraham's done, did in his life. It's what all, all the great men and women have done, of faith have done through history. They look forward that God in his own good time will fulfill his promises. You find that in Hebrews chapter 11. So he believed in the bare word of God, nothing else. It says there in verse 17, Abraham is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. So, if you look at the aged body of Abraham and the aged body of Sarah, it's easy to snicker when you realize the magnitude of the promise, humanly speaking. And yet somehow, though he fully well knew very well the situation in his body and in Sarah's body, he still believed and trusted. Believing the bare word of God, no proof. You know, with Jesus Christ, this is one of the sins of the Jewish people, and it can be for us too, though their situation was a little bit different than ours. He says, if you can't believe the teaching... And of course, his teaching was so different, very, very different than what the people normally heard from the, their leaders. He said, if you can't believe the teaching, believe on the basis of the miracles. The dead come to life, the lame walk, the blind see. 
And of course, some of them probably would believe in Jesus Christ because of the miracle. But many of them, even when, when the miracle was done right before their eyes, still refused to believe. You know, unbelief is the greatest of all sins. To not believe what God says is the greatest insult that you and I can give to God. So if we do nothing else in our walk with Christ, in our walk of holiness, in our walk of sanctification, let's ask God to give us a heart of belief and trust and faith in Him. Get away from all this spiritual navel-gazing. Lay the focus on Almighty God and His power. Thirdly, Abraham believed despite appearances to the contrary. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, says verse 18. In a natural sense, all odds were against him. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Sarah's womb was also dead, verses, uh, verse 19. He believed in the future hope that God was outlining for Abraham. As I said earlier, no doubt he couldn't understand it and yet somehow he believed. Now, God gave him that faith, but he exercised it. There's a mystery right there, but that is the nature of faith. We can't boast about our faith. We can't boast and say, well, I have great faith like Abraham. That's not the nature of faith. The nature of faith looks away from itself towards God. He is the giver of all good gifts. He gives the gift, and then somehow we either exercise it or we refuse to exercise, the, exercise it. And here's a point that I think is really important. It's always been a burden on my heart, pretty much ever since I became a pastor, when I would see how many Seventh-day Adventists who have so much truth, so much light, so much understanding would have so little assurance of salvation. What a strange thing. Don't we say that knowledge is power? So here we are with this great Bible that we have with lots of translations. So if this translation doesn't quite impact us, well, maybe another one will. And then we have all of these writings of Ellen White, especially the Conflict of the Ages series. Some of the passages in Desire of Ages are just, just gems. So we have all this light. Of all Christians, we should be the most confident, the most assured. And if we're not, we are either missing, misunderstanding something, or we're not applying our faith. It's somewhere in there. We should be rejoicing in the faith. Didn't we read that last night in Rome, last week in Romans 5? Romans 5, 5, we rejoice in hope. We rejoice with this outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us. When we understand that God will, will take us from here a life of sin and death and destruction, a life being under the shackles of Satan and take us into the light and freedom and everything that that implies. We can spend eternity with him. Anybody who grasps that has to leap 
has to rejoice. It's so glorious. So the assurance, well, was Abraham confident? Well, our text says in verse 21, being fully persuaded, NIV translation, that God had power to do what he had promised. Being fully persuaded. Does it sound like Abraham's not sure? One translation said he was strongly convinced of it. True faith always has this element of confidence and certainty and assurance. Now, if we did not have the promises of God, if we were looking to self, then it would be presumption. For example, if we started bragging about our faith, like I said a moment ago, about our good works, about our knowledge of Seventh-day Adventist, then that would be really bad. That would be arrogant presumption. But when we have confidence and assurance in God's promises, that's faith. That's Abraham's faith. That's genuine faith. So Abraham was fully persuaded, verse 21, that God had power to do what he had promised. He was strongly convinced of it. In Hebrews 11:1, 1, it says, Now faith is being sure, fully persuaded of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. Many of you have that text memorized. Hebrews 11:1, 1, faith is being sure, fully persuaded, persuaded of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is like a kind of title deed. It guarantees certain things. It's not a leap in the dark. When it uses the word hope, biblically, it's not talking maybe. Yes, that's the way we sometimes use it in the English language, but that's not the way we should read it biblically. It's confident hope. It's certain, assured hope on the basis of the one who makes the promises, who is Almighty God. This is pretty important to understand the, the nature of faith. Um, in the 18th century, there was a movement that pretty much said, and it's, it's still around somewhat today, uh, based on Romans 10, that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, just say that, just say that you believe it and you're saved. So if you're the evangelist riding into town on your white horse and you have your evangelistic sermons ready and you preach on that verse, who in the room is going to say they don't believe in it? So everyone who believes that, stand on your feet today because the water is warm, the baptistry is filled. We are ready to take you to, to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Who's going to say no to that? But the reality is the head may say yes, but the heart is not moved. That's not genuine faith. That's not saving faith. Saving faith is total commitment to Almighty God who makes the promises. It affects every area of our life. This is one of the reasons why we shouldn't rush people um, to commit to the church, rush them into, into baptism. They need to know the kind of commitment that they're making. Jesus 
disciple the disciples that way and train them that way. Check things out. I believe it's a refrain of Ellen White too. Try and find out. It's not always easy, but you try the best way you can to emphasize what discipleship and following Jesus Christ really is all about. And if a person commits to that, it could well be genuine faith. And you never really know until down the road, until fruitage starts to appear in the person's life, whether the seed has really uh, germinated or not. And finally, Abraham acted upon what he believed. God said to him, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations, Genesis 17, 5. No longer will you be called Abram, which means high or exalted father. Your name will be called Abraham, which means the father of many or the father of many nations. Hebrews 11:13. All these people, including Abraham, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. So Abraham's whole life was lived on the promise of God. And so is yours. So is yours as a Christian. There's not a one of us here this morning that can prove anything. This week I talked for just a few minutes with our pathfinders, and I just very, very quickly, like in five, ten minutes, just told them about uh, what God, how God worked in my life. And I hope I sounded convincing to those little children so that they know that God can indeed change people's lives and get them on the right track. But could I prove anything? No, faith doesn't need proofs. Faith trusts and believes because they know that the one who is making the promise can be absolutely trusted. Abraham was an alien and a stranger on this earth. He was longing for a better country, a heavenly country. And so all those heroes in the faith in chapter 11, uh, live their lives that way. So verse 20, he was strengthened in his faith, he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had promised power to do what he had promised, Romans 4.22, and that is why it was credited to him as what? righteousness or justification. In other words, in the economy of God, the thing that's the most important, the key that opens all the doors into the treasure house of God is faith. It's not so much our faith, I mean, we could talk about it that way, but maybe not the best way to talk about it. It's faith in the faithfulness of God. In fact, some translations uh, like in Revelation 14 and, and so on, are, are translated that way. It's faith in the faithfulness of God. We're not looking at ourselves in any way, shape, or form. 
It's always looking outside of ourselves to God. And the amazing thing is that this God puts the highest value on us when He calls us His sons and His daughters and His children, and when He credits the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I mean, what an amazing transaction. There you are appearing before God in all of your filthy rags, right? No righteousness, none of it, none of it works or cuts it with God. And he makes a transfer, and it can happen in just a moment of time when we truly believe in Jesus Christ as God sending him to die for our sins, and we trust and we believe and have faith in that, and then he covers us with the spotless robe of Christ's righteousness. When we explain it as, as simply as that, how can anyone say no? And yet we know that many do. Many do. So it was credited to him as righteousness. Let's wrap this up. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for who else? Us. To whom God will credit righteousness. So I want you to think right now, has God credited the righteousness of Christ for you? For us who believe in him, and here's what we need to believe in, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, the resurrection, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Delivered over. The idea of substitution comes in here. Isaiah 53, it's that, it's that kind of sacrificial language. The innocent victim has shed his blood for you. Your sins were laid upon him. Never ever to appear again. Just that alone, the forgiveness of sins, is glorious gospel good news. But it's way more than that. He credits the righteousness of Christ to you. He doesn't see you. Yes, of course, He knows you through and through, but He doesn't treat you as though you are defective in any way. You are perfect in the sight of God because He sees you wrapped in the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. At least it means that much. And of course it means much more. It means we're, we're brought into his family. A new relationship has been established. We literally are his sons and his daughters going to spend eternity with him. Faith, genuine faith, Abraham's faith believes those kinds of things. Do you believe in those things? If you should die right now, there was somebody in the news that I don't know who his name, what his name was, that was just out up there with the orchestra, 50 years, something like that, just playing away, probably in his element, and boom, in a few seconds, he's gone. Right there, before everybody, he drops down dead. None of us has any guarantee of the next hour, the next day, the next year. The only thing that counts is that you and I 
are credited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that ha happens when we believe and trust in him who died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead for our justification. Let's pray. Gracious God, it's all about you. Sometimes we have a really hard time understanding that. We really think it's about us. And the lesson for us is to learn the lesson that Abraham learned, and he learned it very well, to have confidence and trust in the great God who makes these amazing promises. And Lord, we, we want that kind of faith. We need to have it. We need to exercise it and apply it in all given situations. The devil is so clever at getting us to look at ourselves and our weaknesses and our defects. And Lord, we don't, we don't want to bury our head. We want to face up to the facts just as Abraham did. With us, it seems impossible that any of us can get saved. But with you, Lord, everything's possible. So help us to trust in you and have faith in you as the great God who can do the impossible and make all the unrighteous righteous with you. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.